And amen. Welcome. It's good to uh, have you join us for our Wednesday night online service. As Travis opened up the service, of course, um, we know that this is uh, taking place when right now there's a vice presidential debate. So some may be watching that right now and joining us later. So if you are joining us later, that's the wonderful thing about online services and technology. You can do that. And we are within uh, 30 days of the election. So I just want to remind you to keep praying for our nation. There's so much to be praying about. Uh, our president seems to be recovering from uh, b- being infected by COVID and is out of the hospital. So we're thankful for that. And some of the other leaders of our nation have been uh, hit with COVID as well. Even uh, some church leaders, Greg Laurie, uh, is reported having COVID. So we pray for him. Greg Laurie has been around the Calvary chapels for over 40 years now and just the Harvest Crusades. And many of you have supported his ministry, uh, have been to the Harvest Crusades. Maybe even you're watching and you got saved through that ministry, through the evangelistic uh, message that Pastor Greg uh, so wonderfully gives at the Harvest Crusade. So we want to be praying for him as well. And we got a hurricane that's heading towards the Gulf. It's strengthening. Uh, we got uh, other things that are taking place. The fires, the fires here in Colorado, Wyoming, uh, on the western part of the country in California and Oregon. So we do have a lot to be praying about and uh, be seeking the Lord. And uh, it is difficult days and it's been difficult months that have been behind us and perhaps maybe ahead of us. And we're still dealing with the pandemic, uh, the COVID. And uh, it is uh, something that uh, we need to always remember that the Lord has a plan. He's on the throne and uh, we have a wonderful future. I was just thinking of that as we were singing uh, this last song, that when we hear the trumpet, when we hear the command to come up hither and meet the Lord in the air, uh, what a glorious future that we have as Christians. It, it, you know, Jeremiah, as we're in Jeremiah, we're going to be studying the book of Jeremiah. So if you open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 41, that's where we left off and. Uh, we see that they are going through a difficult time. And there's very important lessons here in the book of Jeremiah, and that is to stay true to the Lord and to heed his word and to trust in him that he is going to see us through. And and, uh, we are going to learn that even tonight as we go through our text. But a couple quick announcements. We're continuing to do online uh, on Wednesday nights. We will continue to do that. Then Sunday morning, we are doing in-person services, and in-person services, 8, 9, 30, and 11 o'clock. So we're continuing to ask that you register for those services because we got limited seating in the sanctuary and space in the classrooms. And uh, you can do that on our website, calvarychapelgreeley.org. Register for that service. It's been so wonderful to see people coming back and more and uh, gathering together and being able to meet together as God's people to worship him and to study his word. So we're going to keep moving forward in that way. And then also uh, other events that are taking place during the week. Be sure to look at that. And particularly on Friday nights as we have uh, the uh, Friday night young adults here and then Saturday the youth. Uh, We have ladies studies and men's study on Tuesdays. So it's great to start getting back to to meeting in in small groups as well as on Sunday morning here at the church. So you can check out everything on our e-bulletin and also on our website. And uh, we're excited 
what the Lord has for us as a church and, and where we're going and what he is doing. So, Father, I do pray as we get into our study this uh, evening that you would bless uh, the teaching of your word. You always do. How important it is for us to be in your word more than ever in the days in which we're in. And these things are written to us, not just for a historical perspective, but for our admonition to teach us and to show us. And um, the lessons that are here, we want to make application in our own lives. And Lord, I pray we be attentive. We do pray right now for our president that you bring complete healing to him as he's recovering from this COVID and some of the other leaders that have gotten it in, in our uh, nation's capital. We pray for Greg Laurie and, and maybe other pastors that are out there that I don't know that have been stricken. And we pray for healing. We pray for healing on our land. And, and in our communities and in our state and in this nation. And, and Lord, it's been difficult to deal with it and all the restrictions. But we thank you that you've helped us navigate through all this and continue to provide. And, and Lord, I do pray that as we get close to election that we would look to you. Our trust is in you. And our trust is in, um, Lord, just knowing that you care for this nation. And we just ask that... It would be a time where we really look to you that we as Christians, first of all, would exercise our right to vote and uh, we would have our voices be heard, that we would uh, look at the issues and, and we would vote according to what would be pleasing to you And um, as we look at those issues. But Father, I pray for a nation that would turn back to you and how we need you more than ever. And I also pray for the, the fires in California, Oregon that have destroyed so many homes and people have lost everything. And even in Colorado, homes have been burnt uh, with the Cameron Peak fire and the Mullen fire in Wyoming and how large it is and, and uh, the smoke that we've had to deal with. We pray for relief. We pray for moisture here to come and put those fires out uh, because they're so huge. Um, and they're going to burn until we get that moisture. And, Lord, that uh, we would uh, just see you uh, bring that to us and be with the firefighters and those who are, are responding to those fires and, and all those who are involved. Keep them safe and help them and, and strengthen them because I know they're weary and they're exhausted. Lord, I also pray that you be with those uh, in Mexico and in the United States as this hurricane is strengthening to Category 4 um, and uh, once again dealing with uh, a hurricane coming into the Gulf states that they've dealt with so much already. And Lord, we just pray for your protection upon the people. And Lord, we need you. Um, we look to you and tonight just feed our hearts Touch our hearts with your word as we look at um, Jeremiah and, the, and uh, him continuing to be faithful to you and giving the word of God to others. And we just pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so, of course, if you've been with us in our journey through Jeremiah, that Jeremiah's ministry lasted for about 40 years. And he's towards the end of his ministry here. He has faithfully been given the word of the Lord, the warning of the Lord to 
God's people. And when he first began his ministry, it was fairly uh, quiet times. In other words, Josiah was reigning, and he had brought blessing to the nation because he wanted to please the Lord. And he had brought reforms to uh, Judah, bringing back temple worship and and, uh, the Passover. And he got rid of the places of idol worship and and places of uh, where false uh, practices were taking place. And he cleansed the land of all of that. But when we know that Josiah was killed, that the people fell right back into idol worship, uh, listening to the false prophets, uh, taking heed to a false message. They had a form of religiousness, and we're even going to see that tonight. But it was mixed in with a lot of paganism and false worship. And, and the Lord had warned them to turn back to him or they were going to go off into captivity. He had reminded them of the covenant that he made with his forefathers there at Mount Sinai. That if you follow after me, then I'm going to bless you. And, and if you don't, then there is going to be uh, consequences, cursings that are going to come. And, and the Lord had been trying to get their attention through drought and through other things, to draw them to himself, but they would not do that. And they followed the dictates of their evil hearts, and they continued in that false worship, and and the leaders, uh, the religious leaders, the people themselves. So Jeremiah has been ministering decade after decade for 40 years, and they ignored the word that was given to them. And we know that even as the last king of of Judah came on the scene, Zedekiah, uh, he comes on the scene and and he's ruling. And Jeremiah goes to him and says, Zedekiah, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Now to keep in mind that Nebuchadnezzar first came into Jerusalem in 605 B.C. to take Daniel and the choice men of Judah away captive. And then the second time he came in, He spared Jerusalem, uh, but he would uh, take away Ezekiel and some others captive as well. That was the second deportation. And uh, we know that uh, it was Jehoiakim, the king at that time, that was killed. And so Zedekiah, he's the last king. He's reigning in the last 11 years before Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem. And the armies of, of Babylon break through the walls of Jerusalem, and they destroy the city, and they destroy Solomon's temple. And I can't help but think when I, I uh, considered that, and as we look at it historically, it was one of the worst times in the history of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a city that's 3,000 years old. And two of the worst events that happened to Jerusalem uh, that we have is when the Babylonians came in and destroyed it in 586 B.C. And then the Romans came in in 70 A.D. and they destroyed the second temple. But as we read Solomon's temple being built in 1 Kings and also in 2 Chronicles, it was a magnificent temple. It was overlaid with gold and huge ornate stones. And that was all destroyed because God's people would ignore his warning. And there was even a saying that they had during that time before the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem, that God's not going to destroy Jerusalem. We have the temple, the temple, the temple. And they were putting their trust in a place rather than putting their trust in the Lord. And, of course, uh, we know that in the uh, gospel accounts that Jesus would tell the disciples that the temple is going to be destroyed. And the religious leaders, they're the Pharisees and uh, the, the scribes and 
the chief priests and, and elders had put their trust in the temple and in religion rather than putting their trust in the Lord personally. And that's an important lesson for us as uh, we journey through life, that uh, we don't put our trust in things. We put our trust in the Lord alone. And we are going to see here that uh, Jeremiah is going to continue to minister, even though this city has been destroyed. And it's interesting, last week as uh, we discussed how Zedekiah was told, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, submit to him, and if you do, the city will be spared. Well, he didn't. And don't try to escape uh, from the Chaldeans. Well, Zedekiah did, and he tried to escape the invasion and destruction of Jerusalem. He was caught. He was taken before Nebuchadnezzar up north uh, in, in that area of Syria. And there, Zedekiah watched them put his two sons to death before him. And then they poked out his eyes and took him off to captivity in Babylon, just as Jeremiah said would happen. And we see the consequences of rebelling against the Lord, and as we sin and continue to ignore the word of the Lord, that it just is bad news, and and it, it brings serious consequences to us, and if we continue in carnality and sin, listen, the end result's going to be this, that you're going to find yourself in captivity, captivity to the world, captivity to problems and despair and hopelessness, and you're going to find yourself being blinded, just as Zedekiah was, and you're going to find that your family, people around you that love you, are going to be hurt as well. So that happened to Zedekiah, and as they're taking the people to Ramah, up in the staging area, we know that uh, it was uh, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, that said to the captain of his guard, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, that what you are to do is take care of um, Jeremiah. Uh, and it's interesting because how did Nebuchadnezzar know about Jeremiah? And as we discussed last time, did I think it was because Daniel, who is in the palace, kind of the right-hand man to Nebuchadnezzar, we see that in the book of Daniel, that perhaps he said, would you take care of Jeremiah? Uh, he's a prophet, of, you know, that belongs to the Lord. And we know that it was uh, the captain of the guard, Nebuchadnezzar, that said to Jeremiah, listen, you can go back with me to Babylon if you want, and I'll take care of you. Uh, kind of a sad commentary because the Babylonians treated Jeremiah a whole lot better than his own countrymen. And we're going to see that's going to continue. And, and Jeremiah, you can stay here if you want. You can dwell wherever you, you, you want to dwell. And Jeremiah chose not to go back to Babylon. Uh, I, I think that he could have. He maybe perhaps could have said, listen, I want to go back and hang out with my friend Daniel. I haven't seen him for a long time. Or I don't even know if they even knew each other. And uh, he uh, would be able to be there. And um, I don't know. He, he could have been comfortable, but he was committed. And he knew that he was to stay. So he stays here in Mitzpah. Mitzpah is north of Jerusalem. That's kind of uh, where the Jews are gathered. There's only a few that are left in the land. They're uh, working the land. They're growing the crops. And as he is left with uh, Gedaliah, we know that Gedaliah is now the governor. And as Gedaliah is there reigning over that area, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, puts him there. 
and all of a sudden these guys come to him, the, these Jews that had fled uh, the uh, assault against Jerusalem. They were on the east side of the Jordan River, and they were Ishmael and Johanna were uh, two of those guys. And we know that as they come to Gedaliah, they said, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to you know, the remnant that we were hiding in, in the east side of the Jordan River? And it was Gedaliah that gave a message of, just surrender to the Chaldeans, submit to them, and it will be well with you. And you can gather wine and summer fruit and oil and put uh, them in your vessels and dwell in your cities, um, and it will be well with you, is what he said. So that was a pretty good deal. He didn't say, you know, the Chaldeans are going to come and wipe you out or take you off into captivity. You can dwell here, and, and you can gather your fruit and gather, you know, your supplies, and you can dwell safely if you just submit to the Chaldeans. Well, that sounds like a good deal, but we see that there's rebellion that's going to happen once again. And what is happening, as we left off last time, is there was one of those individuals that came to Gedaliah, Johanan, and he said, listen, that guy Ishmael, he wants to kill you. Uh, he wants to kill you because the king of the Amorites have sent him to do that. And it was Gedaliah that said, no, you speak falsely concerning Ishmael. And that's where we left off. So chapter 41, and it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, um, that uh, of the royal family and of the officers and the king came with ten men to get Eliah and at Mitzpah, and they, they ate bread together in Mitzpah. So get Eliah's kind of headquarters in Mitzpah. Here comes Ishmael, the, the one that uh, Johanna said, listen, he wants to kill you. He's your enemy. He's going to come against you. And it was Gedaliah said, no, you speak falsely. He was naive. And as he has dinner with him, as we read this, um, we read that in verse 2, Ishmael uh, then and the ten men who were with him arose and struck Gedaliah and and, uh, with the sword and killed him who made uh, the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. And Ishmael also struck down all the Jews who were with them, that is, with Gedaliah at Mizpah and the Chaldeans who were found there, the men of war. So here comes Ishmael, and he's having dinner with uh, Gedaliah, and all of a sudden he rises up and kills him, the governor, kills the Jews that are there, some of them, and then he ends up killing uh, the Chaldeans, the soldiers that were there, these uh, ten men that are with him. So all of a sudden, uh, it happened just as Johanna said would happen, that the enemy is here and he's going to do you in and wipe you out. But here's the thing. Gedaliah didn't believe Johanna. And Gedaliah saying, he's not going to do anything you speak falsely. And he has dinner with him, which is a, a picture of fellowship and closeness and union. And that's what it symbolized in ancient times. Even today, if we have somebody over for dinner, we have them over so that we can fellowship with them and we can know them and, and, um, and there's closeness that is there. Um, that's why eating together has is, is always been a symbol of that. And his Gedaliah, I'm sure that when Ishmael and Johanna and all these from the east side of the Jordan River, when they came to Gedaliah and said, what's going to happen to us? Everything's going to be okay. Just dwell in the land. I'm sure that Ishmael buttered up Gedaliah, just buttered him up, made them feel like that they're in this together and they're allies and we're here to help and support. And that's why Gedaliah is saying, no, he's not going to kill me. Here's the thing. 
we cannot be naive to think that we who have an enemy, that is Satan, who presents himself as an angel of light, that we are naive to think that if we get involved with him or compromise, or we allow ourselves to be tempted and pulled into uh, the things that he desires to, to bring to us, because he does tempt us, and he's an angel of light, and he will deceive, and he will butter you up. He will uh, make it seems like that this is what's good. Everything's going to be okay, but yet he's out to destroy because he is a destroyer. He's a murderer is, is what the uh, gospels say, that he's a master deceiver. And we cannot be naive to think that we can get involved in the things of the world or what Satan brings to us, even though it may look good and it sounds good and it's pleasing to the flesh and not expect there to be consequences. Listen, the enemy Satan, we need to know his strategies and we need to know that he will come against us and trying to pull us away from the Lord and into the world and into sin and carnality. And it will do us in. So we need to be careful. It is Paul writing to the Corinthian church that he says that don't be ignorant of Satan's devices, his strategy, his schemes. He's always warring against us and not to be naive to think nothing will happen. I'll just go this way, you know, and, and the way of the world and the temptation of Satan and nothing will happen. It, it, it'll do you in and wipe you out. We know that it was Saul, the first king of Israel. They came to Samuel the prophet and said that we want to have a king. We want to be like the other nations. And so Saul became the first king, and he started out okay, but then he began to turn inwardly, and it was all about him. And, of course, uh, he would eventually pursue David in the wilderness for so many years. But before that, it was Saul that was told that he was to destroy all the Amalekites because what they did to my people in, in the wilderness. And the Amalekites are a picture of the flesh. And so destroy all the Amalekites. You, you need to do that, Saul. And he goes out to battle, and he wins, but he brings back Agai, the king of the Amalekites. He obviously left some that he didn't destroy. And he comes back and he says to Samuel, I performed all that the Lord has told me. And Samuel said, really, you haven't. And that's where we get the verse where he says that, Saul, you've been disobedient. And it's better to obey than to sacrifice. But we know that Saul, that he did mostly what the Lord said, but not... All that the Lord said. And he had this, this Amalekite, Agai, the king, brings him back and, and uh, is boasting about his victory. And it would be 20 years later, Saul, who was supposed to destroy all the Amalekites, but he didn't do that. He compromised. And it was 20 years later that Saul is killed on Mount Gilboa, and he was killed by an Amalekite. Listen, Christian, this is for all of us that we can't have any Amalekites in our lives. No compromise. Don't leave yourself open to, well, I got this little ag guy. I'm going to go in this direction that I know is contrary to the Lord, but it'll be okay. Nothing will happen. Eventually, uh, just as Saul learned, that it will do you in and wipe you out. So this is what get a lie. He wasn't wise. He was naive. And as we continue here, 
in uh, verse 4 that it happened on the second day after he had killed Gedaliah when as yet no one knew it. You got to remember there's no texting, there's no emails, there's no you know, satellite TV and all of that. News got around very slowly, so a couple days have passed. No one really knew about it. As certain men came from Shechem, from Shiloh, that's in the middle of the country, and from Samaria, 80 men in their beards shaved and their clothes torn, having cut themselves with offerings and incense in their hand to bring them to the house of the Lord. And so Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, went out to from Mitzpah to meet them, weeping as he went along. And it happened as he met them that he said to them, come to get Eliah. Uh, so as we read this, we see that news not getting around. There is this uh, group of men that come from the middle of the country. They come up north to that area uh, that uh, where Mitzpah is, where uh, Gedaliah was killed. And they come bringing this grain offering. Uh, we read in verse 5, they shaved their beards, they uh, tore their clothes. And we read in the Old Testament how, you know, when they would be in the morning, they would tear their clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. Here they shaved their beards. But I want us to notice something here, um, that we see that they also uh, cut themselves. And they bring offerings and incense to bring them to the house of the Lord. So what has happened is the temple has been destroyed, Solomon's temple, where they would bring sacrifice and offering, where they would do their religious acts. And that's been destroyed. So they set up a tent in Mitzpah that is now the house of the Lord where they would do sacrifices. And these 80 men come up. They're mourning for the, the assault and the destruction of Jerusalem, what has happened to God's people. And they come up. Uh, bring in uh, incense to burn. They come up uh, desiring to bring sacrifice. But notice here, and it really shows us how paganism had crept into, you know, the, the land and, and with God's people. They also cut themselves. Um, that was a pagan practice. And again, it shows us and reiterates to us how they had mixed in paganism with Judaism. And and they were doing sacrifices. They would observe the Sabbath and stuff, but they had mixed in so much of the false worship and pagan practices, and cutting themselves was a part of that. So they seemed sincere. They seemed religious. But again, that had affected their lives. Now, we know that the Old Testament law said that they were not to cut themselves. The Lord said, you know, don't practice what the Canaanites uh, practice and the Canaanite worship of, of those gods. Don't cut yourself. You're not to do that. And you might recall that the story, remember that Elijah, he challenged that the uh, prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel and it, there in 1 Kings. And as he said to the people uh, of the house of Israel, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? If Baal is God, then worship him. If Jehovah is God, then you worship him. So he issued this challenge of the prophets of Baal. You, you make an altar, uh, put, prepare a sacrifice, call on your God to call down fire from heaven. And then he did the same thing. He made an altar and he uh, prepared a sacrifice. And it was the prophets of Baal that cried all day. They were calling out to Baal with no answer. And it was Elijah that began to mock them. Uh, he began to say, What's, where's your God? Doesn't he listen? Maybe he's busy. And they got worked 
up. And you recall in that text there that as you read it, that it was the, the people, the prophets of Baal, they begin to scream and yell and they begin to cut themselves. So that was a pagan practice that they would do. And these 80 guys come up and they end up meeting Ishmael. And he says, you come up, you know, to, to see uh, um, Gedaliah. And so it was when they came into the midst of the city, verse 7, that Ishmael killed them and cast them into the midst of a pit, he and the men who were with him. But ten men were found among them who said to Ishmael, Do not kill us, for we have treasures of wheat, barley, oil, and honey in the field. So he desisted and did not kill them among the brethren. So as we read this, here, this Ishmael, he's a very violent man. These 80 men come up into the city. They kill 70. Ten are found uh, among them that he didn't kill. They said, please don't kill us. We have supplies, and uh, we are going to uh, give them to you. So he didn't kill them. He spared them so they could get the supplies that they have. Uh, um, He throws these 70 men that he ended ending up killing into a pit. And um, there's a historical note that is here. I want to read verses 9 and 10. Now the pit in which Ishmael had cast all the dead bodies of the men whom he had slain because of Gedaliah was the same one Asa the king had made for fear of Baasha, king of Israel. Ishmael, the son of uh, Nethaniah, filled it with the slain. And then Ishmael carried away captives, all the rest of the people who were in Mitzpah, the king's daughter, and all the people who remained in Mitzpah, who Nebuzarad then, the captain of the guard, had committed to Gedaliah. And Ishmael carried them away captive and departed to go over to the Amorites. So this is what takes place. He throws them into a pit. And then Jeremiah makes a note that this is the same pit, a cistern, uh, uh, kind of a, a large ditch uh, that was constructed 300 years previously by King Asa. Now, who is King Asa? King Asa was a king 300 years before this time. Uh, He was a good king. He was a godly king. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, uh, at least at the beginning. And we know that Asa, the king of Judah, that when he began to reign, Second Chronicles chapter 14, you can read it, that the king of Ethiopia to the south of Judah was going to attack him, threatening him with a million-man army. And that was scary for, for Asa. I mean, for an ancient army to have a million-man army was a huge, huge army, and thinking that we're going to be destroyed. So Asa called out to the Lord. He called out to the Lord. He prayed, and the Lord brought victory to Asa, and the Ethiopians were defeated. And the Lord would come back to Asa and said, Asa, as long as you seek me, you shall be found by me. But if you do forsake me, then I'll forsake you. And for 35 years, as Asa was reigning in Judah, that's what he did. There was peace in the land. There was blessing that was in the land. Uh, There was benefit, and, and things were going good. Well, the house of Israel up north, the ten northern tribes, that, you know, things weren't going so good. Matter of fact, they had all bad kings. It went from bad to worse as you look at the situation there. And so the people were starting to come down 
to Judah, and, and the king of Israel did not want that. Uh, he didn't want them going to Judah because they were being blessed, and, and he didn't want them joining with their brethren. So what he does is he comes to that place, Ramah. Remember we talked about Ramah? Ramah was the staging area at this time that the Babylonians come and take away the people captive. They would take them to that staging area just north of Jerusalem, a few miles to Ramah. Today the city is called Ramelah. And as they would sort the people out and then take them off into captivity, separating families and all this, it was a place of weeping. But in that place, at the border of Judah and the ten northern tribes uh, called the House of Israel, here comes the Baasha, the king of Israel, and he comes and he begins to fortify uh, Ramah. He begins to build it. He begins to build these large trenches. So there was, it was a blockade is what it was to prevent people from the house of Israel coming into Judah. And it was an act of war. So Asa, he sees that. And what he does is he comes up with a plan. And he gets a hold of a, the king of Syria, which is a pagan king, makes a, a treaty with him, says, do me a favor, attack the house of Israel from the north. And, and as it was a good plan, it, it worked militarily. It was very logical. Uh, th that's what happened. The king of Syria, that he attacked the house of Israel from the north, and the house of Israel and Syria were always at war with each other. And Probably didn't take a lot of convincing for, for Asa to do that, that it was Baasha had to stop his soldiers and they had to go up north and, and try to battle with and take care of the Assyrians. So it worked. The plan, uh, it, it was what we can look at, it seemed like a, a, a very logical plan, but the Lord was displeased with Asa. And the Lord came to Asa and said, Asa, why didn't you come to me? You came to me when Ethiopia was threatening you, a, a lot larger army, but you, di you didn't seek me. You didn't come to me. You made up your own plan, and you went your own ways what you did. And as the prophet of God comes to Asa to tell him that, that he would go on to say that the eyes of the Lord go throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards him. I love that verse. Do you realize that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards him? And Asa, you weren't loyal. You went out in your own energy, in your own understanding. You did not seek the Lord. And Asa got mad at that prophet and, and threw him in prison. And as you continue reading about Asa's reign, he started out so well. He, he did so well for so many years. But at the end of his life, he began to trust in his own abilities, his own plans, his own devising, you know, uh, seeking, you know, not the Lord, uh, but his own understanding. And he ended up getting disease in his feet. Uh, and he probably had leprosy. And he ended up dying. And I'll tell you the truth on this. The way to get defeated in your Christian life is you start to do things in your own energy and you stop seeking the Lord and doing things in your own understanding and in your own flesh. And it can happen. Listen, this is a word for me and this is a word for you because we can log some time with the Lord 
and we've seen the Lord work and, and you know, we cried out to the Lord in difficult situations and circumstances. But then as time goes on and the Lord has blessed and we begin to, you know, to rely on ourselves, we begin to uh, seek our own understanding and move out in our own wisdom. And we're not looking to the Lord anymore. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't need to seek the Lord on this. I know what to do. And the Lord wants us to be in a place where we're depending on him continually and constantly all the days of our life. And we need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, here, here's maybe what I'm thinking, but Lord, I need to hear from you and trust in you and not just to go in our own ways and own energies and, and our own understanding because that will end up bringing defeat in our own Christian life. The Lord, his ways are not our ways. And his ways are so much better. And he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think in our lives. But we need to continually seek him. And he promises that as his eyes go to and fro across the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards him. So, so back to our text, Ishmael, Ishmael. He kills these guys, throws them in that pit. He takes the people that are left, and he goes on the east side back to Ammon on the Jordan River with the captives, um, at least until, as we read in uh, verse 11, that then Johanna, remember the other guy, the one who warned Gedaliah about Ishmael, and all the captains of the forces that were with him heard of all the evil Ishmael, the son uh, of Nethaniah, had done. And they took all the men and went to fight with Ishmael. And they found him by the great pool that is in Gibeon. And so it was when all the people who were with Ishmael saw Johanna and, and all the captains of the forces who were with him, that they were glad. And then all the people who Ishmael had carried away captive from Mizpah turned around and came back and went to Johanna. So here, Johanna and his guys, they go after Ishmael. They go to rescue those captives that are over on the east side of the, the Jordan River in Ammon. And they would see Johanna, and they would run to him. They were glad to see him. We've been rescued from this, this maniac. And then all the people who Ishmael, verse 14, had carried away came to him. And then verse 15, Ishmael escaped, though, from Johanna with eight men and went to uh, the Ammonites. So Ishmael escapes from him. Verse 16, Johanna and all the captains and the forces that were with him took from Mitzpah all the rest of the people who he had recovered from Ishmael and um, Gedaliah and, and the mighty men of war and the women and the children and the eunuchs who he had brought back from Gibeon. And they departed and went into the habitation of Chimham, uh, that's near Bethlehem, as they went on their way to Egypt because of the Chaldeans, where they were afraid of them because of Ishmael, and uh, who murdered Gedaliah, whom the king of Babylon had made governor in the land. So here, Johanna, he rescues those guys. They go back into Israel. They head south. They go south of Jerusalem where Bethlehem is or near Bethlehem. And they're making plans to go to Egypt because they're afraid. Uh-oh, some of the Chaldeans were killed. Um, Gedaliah was killed. They're going to blame us. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to be angry, and he's going to come against us. And so we got to flee. We got to get out of here. But the next two chapters tells how that process happened, 
how they ended up going to Egypt. Let's begin to look at that in chapter 42. And the captains of the forces of Johanna, um, they uh, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near, and this Jesaniah as well is there, and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant, since we are left but a few of many, as you can see, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing we should do. It seems like Johanna, he's a good guy. He's going to rescue the people. They go there. They want to hear from the Lord. Jeremiah, you're the prophet. Will you go seek the Lord for us? And in it, it's familiar in that Zedekiah did that. Uh, some of the other people did that. They came to Jeremiah and said, tell us what the word of the Lord is, and then they would ignore it. And that's what we're going to see here. Um, he seems like a good leader, trying to do the right thing. But notice here, right away as we read this, that in verse 2 he says, pray to the Lord your God, Jeremiah. And, and we're going to see that he's not going to heed the Lord. He didn't say, seek the Lord our God. Or seek the Lord my God. He says, seek the Lord your God, Jeremiah. And he looks spiritual. People will come to you and to me, don't they? And they say, you know, what does the Bible say about this? And maybe they're in a difficult circumstance or situation. Or they'll say, pray for me. But they're not really interested in knowing what the Lord has to say. They're just trying to be religious or whatever the case may be. And... And um, his heart here, Johanna, isn't right with God. Um, uh, even though it seems like there's some softness wanting to hear from the Lord, but we're going to see that's going to be rejected. Let's read verse 4. And then as Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard indeed, I will pray to you, the Lord your God, according to your words. And it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you and I will keep nothing back from you. So they said to Jeremiah, let the Lord be true and faithful witness between us if we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you. They said, we'll, we'll do everything. You, you know, we'll obey his voice. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, he's... Let the Lord be true and faithful witness between us. And, and so here they are with their more religious jargon. Whether it's pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord, verse 6, our God, to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord, our God. It's interesting. They're saying the right things, aren't they? They said, whether it's pleasing or displeasing, we're going to obey the word of the Lord so it may be well with us. And that is the truth. Whether the Lord, when he speaks to us, whether it is pleasing to our ears or displeasing, if we obey him, it will be well with us. And we need to understand that. That the Lord will have us do things that maybe doesn't always make sense, at least in the world's eyes or our perspective, or is difficult to do. But if we obey it, it will be well with us. And these guys here, as they come, Johanna and the others, are saying, we'll obey, we'll listen, uh, it'll be well with us. But they have no interest in that. And Jeremiah knows that. So it happened after 10 days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, verse 7. 10 days. Now, that encourages me. And tells me something. That when we pray, the Lord doesn't always answer right away, does he? He does answer in a sense. He answers yes to our prayers. It's wonderful when he does that right away. Sometimes he says no. That's an answer. That's just as much as the answer as yes is. 
But sometimes he says, wait, and you keep coming back. And in our Christian lives, we need to learn to wait on the Lord. It's not easy. We live in an instant world where we want information. We want answers right away. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, there are times where we need to wait on the Lord. And in the scripture, it tells us that as we wait on the Lord, that he'll be gracious to us. He'll be good to us. He's compassionate to us who wait on him. But as we wait on him, he promises that we will hear from him. And so keep going back to the Lord. Keep praying. The Lord hears. And you recall that that letter that Jeremiah wrote to the captives. They're wondering, does the Lord care? Does uh, he, you know, hear us? And it was Jeremiah that wrote that, I, that when you call upon me and go and pray to me, thus says the Lord, I'm going to listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. So the Lord says, call upon me. You know, as you seek me, you'll, you, you're going to be found. I'm going to hear you. And so we need to keep praying. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep seeking the Lord. Um, and keep going back to him is what he desires for us to do. But in verse 8, then he called Johanna and all the captains of the forces which were with him and all the people from the least even to the greatest and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. If you will still remain in this land, then I will build you and not pull you down and I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent concerning the disaster that I brought upon you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. So good news. I will show you mercy, that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. So here it says, if you stay, don't have to be afraid of the king of Babylon. Um, You know, uh, you're not going to be harmed. I'm going to show mercy on you. Just stay in the land is what you are to do. But, verse 13, if you say we will not dwell in this land, disobeying the voice of your God, saying, no, we will go to the land of Egypt, where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor be hungry for bread, and there we will dwell. Verse 14, notice it. If you say we're going to go to Egypt, where it's going to be better, there's going to be peace, we're going to have um, no war, there's going to be plenty of food, we're going to dwell there, it's going to be a lot easier. Then hear the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt and go to dwell there, um, then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt, the famine of which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there you shall die." So be with all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to dwell there. They shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. And none of them shall remain nor escape from the disaster that I will bring upon them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, verse 18, My anger and my fury have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So will my fury be poured out on when you enter Egypt. And you shall be an oath and astonishment, a curse and a reproach. And you shall see this place no more. Don't go to Egypt. If you do, there's going to be consequences. Clear choices here. Stay and be blessed, provided for and protected. Go to Egypt. You think you're going to be provided and protected and have peace, but you're going to experience famine and die. 
You know, Egypt is a picture of the world. And we all have choices to make. Are we going to stay where the Lord wants us to be, where there's true peace and protection, and it will be well with us? Are we going to trust the Lord in that, or are we going to go back to Egypt, to the world? Where we think it's going to be good, it's going to be okay. No, it's not going to be okay. And they're going to flee, and they're going to end up, as we're going to see next week, experiencing famine, just as the Lord said. And then verse 19, Jeremiah knows their hearts. He says, The Lord has said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt now certainly that I have admonished you this day. For you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us to the Lord our God, and according to all that the Lord your God says, to declare to us, and we will do it. And I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which he has sent you by me. Now, therefore, know certainly that you will die by the sword, by the famine, by pestilence, in a place where you desire to go to dwell. You're going to go to Egypt because you're disobedient to the Lord. He knows your heart. And here's the thing. He knows our hearts. You may be able to try to fool others, but you cannot fool the Lord. He knows our hearts. He knows the intent of our hearts. And if we are bent on, even though we're trying to be religious and put on a big spiritual act on being disobedient, he knows that, and he says it's not going to be well with you. And you're going to end up being famished. You're going to have famine spiritually. You're going to end up going to be harmed spiritually, and it's just going to be bad news for you. So we need to be ones, I pray for us, Remember this, that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those who are loyal towards him, to be loyal towards him, to trust him, to rest in his love and in his word, to walk in that obedience, that it would be well with us. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these important lessons that we know, but we see that what happens um, as there are those, your people, that just disobeyed you and ignored you, even though they had a form of religiousness, even though they put on a religious act, they were far from you. And I pray that we wouldn't play games with you, Lord, that we would have a desire to hear you, whether it's pleasing to our ears, our flesh, or it's displeasing, it's hard. I don't want to do that, but Lord, to trust that you, your word is true and your ways are right. And so, Lord, may we just be loyal to you and trust in you and know that as we do, that there's going to be peace, that there's going to be provision, that there's going to be you that is with us working. And, Lord, that we would look to you, not trust in our own understanding or trust in the world, but look to you in everything, every day. Father, I thank you for these lessons that we can learn and and I pray that you would help us to keep looking to you in every way, to keep trusting in you and in your love. And, Lord, that we would be ones, that we want to hear your word. So, Lord, thank you that we don't have to go to Egypt, but we can go to you because as we seek you, we will be found. As we call upon you, that you hear us. Bless everyone here tonight and the rest of the week. We look forward to meeting on Sunday again. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great evening. Hope to see you on Sunday. Remember to register calvarychapelgreeley.org for our services. Love to see you as we gather to worship and to study God's word in Matthew's gospel. God bless you.